Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Today on the program, Adam Carolla, and he's got some things to say. We're going to be talking about COVID and the California shutdowns and Gavin Newsom's reversal. Is this guy going to be recalled? Is the pressure getting to him? As the California school teachers, their unions still refuse to go back into the classroom. We're going to talk to him about the New York Times firing a 45-year staffer. The guy was with them for 45 years. We'll get into why. And, uh, and on AOC's performance art, Adam has got some thoughts, so stay tuned for him. But first, when you're running a business, HR can kill you. Right? I mean, HR can fire you. Not if you're the boss necessarily. Anyway, I digress. But anyway, HR is a pain in the you-know-what. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. No one wants to deal with all that red tape. It's just a hassle to understand. It goes on and on. And by the way, HR manager salaries are not cheap. An average of 70000 bucks a year. That's where Bambi comes in. Bambi. B-A-M-B-E-E. It was created specifically for small businesses that do not want to deal with this stuff. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft your HR policy, maintain your compliance all for $99 a month. That's it. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager will be available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding, I do believe that's the weird HR term for hiring, to offboarding, terminations, they will customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day to day. That's good. You need like that filter between you and the employee you have to discipline, right? It's better if you don't have to say all the awful things face to face. Get the HR person to do it. That's why you're paying them the 99 bucks a month. That's cheap, people. 99 bucks a month is cheap. Month to month, the relationship is so you don't like the person, you can get rid of them. No hidden fees and cancel any time. And basically just let Bambi help you. You can get your free HR audit today where they take a look at your business, see what you need by going to Bambi.com slash MK. Do it right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash MK. Spell BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash MK. And now Adam Carolla, author of I'm Your Emotional Support Animal, Navigating Our All-Woke No-Joke Culture. That's an amazing title. And host of the Adam Carolla Show, which is now on its 3,000th episode. How about that? Three, 
3,000. This is episode 63. I I don't know if I've got that much to say. I I don't know how you keep the conversation going that long. Um, But maybe, maybe I'll find out. We'll grow and we'll learn together as we listen now to Adam. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, uh, Good. Feeling kind of feeling kind of happy about the Tom Brady win. I don't know. Seems like a nice guy. Seems like he works hard for it. He's easy to hate, but I, I kind of feel like he deserves it. I agree. Now, if you hate Tom Brady, you hate yourself for being lazy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. First, let's talk about what's going on with COVID. Newsom, Gavin Newsom last week, your governor, finally called for schools to reopen even before every teacher has been vaccinated. (gasps) And the teachers unions, uh, they're opposing. The teachers union out there is opposing. The district superintendent out there in Southern California is saying the schools are just not going to reopen. They're not unless, quote, teachers are protected. Um, That's ambiguous. And now there's a real question about whether schools there, amongst other places, are ever going to reopen until we have complete herd immunity. What do you think? Well, you know, if you think about the way California rolls, the way California rolls is they set up these arbitrary color-coded safety, you know, purple, yellow, red, magenta, whatever. And then each one has a goal that's pretty much undoable. They have like an unreachable goal. Like, you know, less than seven people can be infected out of two million people in a three-year period. And then they go, we haven't met our goal. Well, you set up an unrealistic goal, you know? So it'd be like you saying to your kids or, you know, me saying to my daughter, um, you can never go to Disneyland or outside after the streetlights come on or ever spend money at fast food until you get 100% on 20 trigonometry tests in the row. And then at some point, she'd do 17 in a row and she'd go, can we go to Disneyland? And I'd go, hey, babe, rules are rules. We can't do it because I set up these very unrealistic goals. So California sets up crazy, unrealistic safety goals, and then we don't meet them. Teachers, when this whole thing is said and done, the teacher's going to look like mega cowards to me. Like in this world where we're calling people that work at Trader Joe's, heroes and nurses heroes and firemen heroes and every frontline everyone's a hero there has to be a goat and the goat are teachers they're not going back to work they're first off why aren't they essential workers if if, if garbage men and people who work at trader joe's and gas stations if they're essential workers how come teachers aren't essential workers i thought children were our future i thought this was the most important job Remember 10 minutes ago, we were calling teachers heroes. Remember, they're all heroes. What happened to the hero moniker? Right. They're hiding under their bed in a fetal position, hammering checks. They need to get back to work. And by the way, we don't need unions. This is It's the unions that are screwing this thing up. Mm-hmm. That's what's so irritating is because is that number one, I think most teachers do want to teach. It is their unions that are that are stepping in. But number two, there are certainly some teachers because we saw them. We saw them doing their interpretive dance in Chicago. They're these young, able-bodied teachers springing, leaping through the air in order to make clear that they could not possibly teach children. <laughs> Wait, why? You're totally, totally perfectly healthy and you're t- 
terrified you're going to get COVID in schools that have already prioritized you for the vaccine and sterilize the classrooms, et cetera. Um, so, but the thing that really ticks me off is you've got, you got, you got teachers like we have a 65 year old guy who's been teaching my fifth grader and his classmates for a year. He's fine. He took the risk. He's one of those people who could easily say, I'm going to stay at home. He didn't. He went, he understood there's next to no chance of him getting it or transmitting it inside the classroom. And he did the right thing. And now we're supposed to look at these leapers and say, why won't you keep them safe? Well, it's so narcissistic. It's so like insane. Like I'm not going back into the classroom until it's 100% safe for me. Crazy narcissism. And again, what if everyone who worked at a supermarket took on that same posture? But I've always had this bigger picture plan. Like everyone says to me, what's going on with schools? Like what's happening with schools? And it's like, what are we teaching our kids at these schools? It, it's a little slice of socialism is the way I, I look at it. And it's it, first off, it's inhabited by people who don't want to go out and compete in the private sector, number one. So it's a self-selecting group of individuals. Number two, if you think about it, just think about the, you think about California, think about school teachers. If you think about COVID and a sort of political political terms, the people on the right are the least worried about it. And the people are the le- who are on the left are the most worried about it. And the people that are furthest to the left are the teachers. And those are the teachers that are teaching your kid every day. So what mm-hmm. kind of politics do you think your kids are getting by the super scared leftists who won't go back into a classroom? What, 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 what else, pray tell, may, may they be teaching your kids about the 1619 Project? or any of any of this. This is a tell. This is a tell for who they are and what their politics are. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And, and they've had to show their card because the actual governor of California is saying, go back to school. The, the city of San Francisco and city of LA are saying to their specific districts, go back, open up the schools. And they're refusing. San Francisco just had to sue its own school district to make them reopen the district officials are refusing. And meantime, Adam, meantime, at the federal level, we've got Joe Biden. Remember, follow the science. I'm going to follow the science. Unlike President Trump, I will follow the science and I will listen to the experts. And the CDC comes out with this just devastating for that far left position report saying there's basically no evidence that you're going to get COVID in school, that schools have contributed in any meaningful way to community spread. um, And and that all the data show it's much safer for the kids to be in school and it's perfectly safe for the children. And you know what happened after they said that uh, the White House was asked about it. Jen Psaki came out and said, well, the woman who said that she was speaking in her personal capacity. OK, it was the director of the CDC yeah. and she was providing the guidance during a coronavirus task force briefing with reporters in her role as the head of the CDC. And now we're going to follow the science and listen to the experts. Folks are saying Oh, she was speaking in her personal capacity. And by the way, what is personal capacity? I mean, when you're the head of the CDC or the spokesperson for the CDC, what does that even mean? Like, those are her own private thoughts that she shared. <laughs> like, we stole her diary or something. <laughs> or, she's just, or, or she's a Scientologist and she's giving us some of her own, you know, homespun 
theories about life? Like, wh- what is even what does personal capacity mean when you're standing at a podium with CDC signage behind you? What does that mean? That's her own deeply held personal opinion about COVID nineteen. Like, what does that even mean? It's a lie. And and if we were back in the Trump era, it would be added to the list of like number of lies told by this White House. But no, right. Keep going. Yeah. It, it, so Fauci, if he says something I disagree with, I can claim it's just his personal capacity. He was speaking in that was his pillow talk with him and his wife. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a lame statement. It, it's nonsensical. She was speaking in her personal capacity. That doesn't even mean anything. Right. Right. It's a dodge by this, you know, this new White House right. press office that was going to be so transparent. And, you know, they're they're already lying to us and, and we know it. And and the, the stakes are high. You know, I know you, you've got two kids. I've got three kids. It really pisses me off because it's like we did a long report last week based on a New York Times in-depth piece talking about the suicide rate amongst these kids going up that the most recent CDC report found mental health related ER visits are up 31% for kids between 12 and 17, up 24% be- for kids between 5 and 11, five, uh, who are like the opposite of super spreaders. You're not going to get COVID from a kid between 5 and 11. And they don't give a shit. They, they, they won't go back to school. The White House won't fi- follow the science. And when the CDC director had a moment of honesty, the, the first response is personal capacity, Look over there. Yeah, it, it's really uh, it's it's an interesting it's interesting that numbers, computers, and statistics have actually pulled us further away from reality. Like they're in a way, teachers keeping kids at home and not going back is kind of statistically like Black Lives Matter in the sense that they focus all of their energy on cops shooting unarmed black men, which is statistically next to nothing. They focus none of their focus on black men killing other black men, which is statistically through the roof. And we're all supposed to just go along with it. Like, like we don't do math, like we can't look at a number or a spreadsheet. And the teacher sings kind of the same thing. There is no statistical data that says it's dangerous for kids to go back into the classroom. There's now a bunch of statistical data saying it's very dangerous for them to stay home with all the myriad of things that go along with that, you know, substance abuse and mental stuff and physical abuse and all that. And yet we're just going to ignore that and let them sit home and rot. So the heroes who claim to have gotten into it because they love kids and they want to change their future are all, and, and by the way, this this thing where it's like, well, it's not them, it's the unions. Then start piping up against your union. Why don't you start pushing back against the unions? Like, isn't that what a hero would do? Mm-hmm. And That's why do we point. need these unions? Biden, the Biden administration wants to get rid of school choice. Is that this seems like so we want a monopoly with these idiots controlling our kids and controlling the state? That doesn't seem like a good plan for me. Get rid of get rid of charter schools and get rid of school choice and get rid of vouchers. Have an ever increasing number of unions and school teachers unions, and then have them just dictate policy in 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 a state as big as California. That doesn't seem like a great plan to me. It seems like mm-hmm. what they're doing now. Nobody wants it. 
So all the parents want their kids to go back to school. The governor wants the kids to go back to school. The mayor in Los Angeles wants the kids go, to go back to school. But the union, because of how big it is, says no. That makes sense to anybody. And might might we pump the brakes at this point and say, hmm, maybe there should be all, some alternatives to big unionized, federally funded schools. Do we think there's any chance of that happening, given what you know the, the size of Democratic donations the unions make? Well, somebody's going to have to start talking about the fact that you know it's so funny because I live in California and I live amongst these idiots. And when you say to them all the time, hey, the governor wants the schools open. It's statistically safe for the schools to open. The mayor wants the schools open. How come schools aren't open? They'll go like, I don't know. I don't know. They have no connection to the unions and them funding the politicians. They cannot do that math. Mm-hmm. Or they won't do that math. Or it's, it's some sort of cognitive dissonance or something. Your people, Democrats, the people you're voting for, this is what they're doing. They're sacrificing kids. The mayor and the gov and the governor, they can they can give some lip service to it, but they can't actually make a move because they're scared of the unions who are funding that. And this is this this is essentially payola. And it's perfectly fine for all the Democrats who live in California. I would I would I would say that's a hypocritical stance. I mean, I, I would say, and I have said it, you, you want to just say that's fine. You don't want to teach. You're fired. It's no problem. That's the deal. Like the reason you get the paycheck is because yeah. you do the teaching. And now that we're back open, if you're not going to show up, you're fired. But how can they do that when the unions control the slots that the teachers are in and they are going to just say they can't backfill them like they've, they've the unions got them. They've, they've got them right where they want them. Well, haven't we agreed in our society that monopolies are bad? That, that, that sometimes you abuse your power when you're a monopoly. So we have a lot of laws to break up monopolies and to prevent monopolies. So why is it good for the school teachers union who is a monopoly? Why, why, is, that, why, is, that, why is that an okay monopoly? So you couldn't have a monopoly on automobiles or on tacos, but you could have one on teachers. And that works. This is, by the way, what happens when there's a monopoly. This, I'm living it in California. My kids are laying in their room right now because of the school teachers union monopoly. If we had alternatives, then they would just lose business and, and go away. If there were others who were competing against them, but they have, they have a monopoly. So what is advantageous about a monopoly? We're calling it a union, but it's really a monopoly. It's a good point. I mean, there was a time in in our country's history where teachers felt they were being mistreated and the only way they were going to get decent salaries and decent benefits was to bind together and work against, you know, as as a unit against the sort of the cities controlling all the purse strings. I I don't I don't think we're still there. And the, the free market has led to a lot of great schools that don't have to obey by these rules and that's they're so threatened by how well they're working things like charter schools and so on that their their solution is as you point out they must be shut down it's not we have to do better cuz they're coming for us you know it's like we could do better and learn from their example it's they need to go away the competition needs to be eliminated yeah well what would you do if you were really bad at your job and you were lazy 
would you want to up your game or would you want to get rid of the competition? So they're going to do, basically, they're going to do what we let them do. And I don't think they're any different than any other entity. I, I, don't, I don't see why GM wouldn't do it as well or any other large you know, GE or any other large corporation. They'll do what we let them do. Unfortunately, California lets them do whatever they want to do. And this is the product. I mean, I'm living it right now. That's, this is what happens when you have a democratic supermajority. This is, this is the product. And now Newsom, who's essentially been neutered, has to do two things. He has to say out of one side of his mouth because there's so much pressure and there's a recall effort afoot and and people are hitting their boiling point at this point because the kids have been home for almost a year. My kids have been home almost a year and according to the school teachers unions, by the time everyone's vaccinated and we get everyone back to the classroom, it'll be time for the summer break. There will be no school year this year. So Newsom right. has to pay his constituency lip service by saying, well, I'd like these schools to open, but he also can't do anything sweeping or dramatic or force anyone back into the classroom because unions are his bread and butter. So he just sits mm -hmm. there pretending like he wants schools to open, but doing nothing about it. And the scary thing is... You know, as they as we continue to put such blind faith—not we, the country, but really the the, the administration now—in Fauci, he's saying we may be we may be dealing with this situation until the end of next school year, twenty one into twenty two. I just think, at what point have the American people had enough? At what point is there actually just a collective middle finger? Like if we have to have our classes in the middle of the park taught by a group of parents who's studied up on the latest, we're going to do it because this is such bullshit. How many years can they keep us locked in our apartments without teaching our children while still cashing all of our tax checks? You know, I mean, I do wonder because we are Americans. The American spirit is as a free spirit. We like our liberty a lot. And you can see even a, even in a state like California, Adam, you know, you tell me that's very blue. I feel like people there are reaching their boiling point. They, they've had it. Well, you know, you can kind of judge if you live in California, you live in Los Angeles. At the beginning of the shutdown, there wasn't any traffic on the freeways. Now there's just as much traffic as there ever was, which means people are kind of voting with their feet. So the state is reopening whether whether the governor likes it or not because people mm -hmm. are just tired of it. And also you can't cry wolf that many times before people just start heading back sort of into the town square. So essentially that's what what's happening. Unfortunately there is no version of that with public schools where kids just start wandering onto campus and opening books. You know, that's <laughs> going to take a decree. And the, the reality, he, uh, Megan, uh, let me tell you the most disappointing part about this entire experiment that we've all been living through for the last year. I cannot believe how cowardly people are. I, can, I, I was reading a tweet that I sent out 
early in July saying uh, teachers are heroes and cops are the bad guys, but cops are doing their jobs and, and the heroes, the teachers won't go back to school. And of course, I, I always get attacked whenever I, I call the teachers cowards or whatever I do, what I do. And it's the scariest part and most revelatory part about this whole thing is what lemming coward sheep everyone has turned out to be. They're attacking Dr. Drew. They're attacking me. They're attacking anybody who suggests lockdowns are hurting our society. They're hurting the kids. Kids are safe. Kids should be able to go back to school. This is affecting old people and people with uh, pre-existing conditions. It's not killing healthy people. The, The insane part about this is how fast society turned on people that are championing the cause of freedom. That's mm-hmm. the scary. I, 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 I expected the government. Look, I expected Newsom to be a shit show. He's an idiot. I've interviewed the guy. He doesn't. He has a synapse problem, but he's really a dumb dude. Listen to him debate me. It's, it's on YouTube somewhere. He cannot oh. compete. And I have a junior college education. <laughs> I was put on academic probation at a junior college. And Gavin Newsom can't keep up with me. So he's a dumb (laughs) dude. I didn't expect anything from him. Our Mayor Garcetti is a flat-out pussy. I didn't expect (laughs) anything from that guy. He is a total puss. No problemo. What about the people? What about the comedian? Where are the voices? Who's pushing back? That's the disappointing part. It's not Newsom and Garcetti. I knew who they were. It's everyone else. What's wrong with everybody? Why is everyone, and everyone is so scared to speak up or to say anything. Ugh. People are such cowards. He's like a JFK figure. He's got the good hair. You know, he's somewhat good looking. I remember when he was married to Kimberly Guilfoyle, they did this big spread where she had the flowing dress and you could just tell they were sort of wannabes. You know, they were kind of wannabes. And I think he's still a wannabe and he's good looking enough. It's very rare in a politician that he keeps getting elevated to the next position. And yet he clearly has no spine, you know, and and the recall thing is interesting because it wasn't until that started to get really more serious and start to look like it had some momentum behind it that he was like, you know what, let's open the schools. But (laughs) the the unions are standing their ground saying, screw you, make us. And now, you know, his bluff has been called and we'll see. I mean, do you think do you think there's actually going to be a recall? I think there is. It sounds like there is. And it'd be nice if there was. And, and to circle back to the disappointment, I think we've figured out that with enough social pressure, almost, entity, almost any entity will cave, right? And here's, here's what I'm saying. If we went all out and pressured the unions to reopen the schools. If the LA Times was writing articles every day, if CNN was hitting it hard, if celebrities were tweeting, we would force them to do it. The point is, is none of those entities are doing any of that. And that's Mm -hmm. the sad part. I think we could shape, I think we could shame the unions into opening the schools of California but no celebrity, no comedian, no public figure, they're not going on record. And I don't know, where's the Los Angeles Times? Aren't we supposed to follow the science? What about the science? I thought it was all about following good. Good, then do your thing. 
Los Angeles Times, instead of writing another op-ed piece about the dangers of hydroxychloroquine, why don't you attack the teachers' union? Or are you on their side? See, this is the problem with the supermajority in California. The Los Angeles Times agrees with the teachers' unions. They like yep. the teachers' unions. They, they are on the same side politically as the teachers' unions. So they're not going to do anything. Everyone should be rising up in unison and shaming those idiots into doing their jobs. And they've leaned into their own fear. They've leaned into their own fear. There's the group that's genuinely gotten themselves terrified of COVID, even though if you are under the age of 70, you have over 99% chance of surviving COVID. But there's a group that's gotten themselves convinced it's like the plague. And, you know, the media helps by playing up any case of somebody who didn't have a pre-existing condition um, and was young and died. I mean, they will play it up so that everybody knows who that person was where you could do the same thing with the flu every year. If you wanted to take somebody who was young and was you didn't think was otherwise susceptible to death from getting the flu, um, many people do die of it. But because there is sort of a covid porn need by the media, they'll take one case and really scare the hell out of people. And people walk away thinking they actually might die from this thing. So you got people who are genuinely fearful and they're not paying attention or because they're just people who like drama in their lives and they lean into fear as a general matter. And then you got the people who know the truth, but they're fearful about getting mean tweets, right? About getting attacked, like you say, like Dr. Right. Drew or you or, you know, Dr. Atlas, who was at the White House, who just got killed. Like any sort of unorthodox pushback is publicly shamed as you don't give a shit about grandma. And nobody wants to be accused of that. But we're at the point now where it's like when the CDC is on your side. <laughs> and just no one's listening to it, right. it's time to rise up. It's maybe time for an editorial. Yeah, I agree. It's it's an interesting glimpse into the human psyche, which is they're so cowardly and so worried about the mob turning on them, they'll say almost anything and they'll repress almost any thought. And they don't really care about right and wrong and science and data and numbers. They'll just sheepishly go along with everyone because everyone... Well, evidently, you know, it's funny, you, you know, they used to say like number one fear, you know, snakes, number two, public speaking, you know, number three, spiders, but it's really being shamed and, and pushed out of the village. Essentially, that must be the number one fear of all human beings. And maybe when they were talking about snakes in public speaking, they didn't have a modality for pushing everyone out of the or shaming everyone in the public square like we do now with Twitter. But evidently, that's almost every human being's greatest fear, because that's the only explanation for why everyone's going along with this. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it, it's awesome if you're Amazon and it's awesome if you're Gavin Newsom, because you have a whole bunch of these scared subjects just sheepishly going along with everything you tell them to do. More with Adam in just one second. But first, it seems like every day, everywhere, practically everyone is connected on their devices, right? We, we don't look up anymore. We don't take in nature. We just look down at our screens. In fact, they say the average person was connected almost seven hours a day last year, and 64% of adults admit that they take online risks out of convenience. Well, that's where Norton 360 with LifeLock steps in to be your friend. Because all that browsing, sharing, banking, and shopping, 
Uh, it may make your life easy, but it can also expose you to criminals, your personal information, and make you very vulnerable to a crime. There is a lot to your digital life that can put you at risk. That's why Norton 360 with LifeLock will make it easy to keep you safe. They will help keep it all safe with device security that helps block hackers from your devices, a VPN for online privacy, and LifeLock identity theft protection to help you keep what's yours, yours. Knowing can prevent every cybercrime or identity theft or monitor every single transaction at every business, but with the all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can be less worried about becoming another statistic. Save 25% or more off your first year at norton.com slash MK. Okay, that's norton.com slash MK to save 25% off. Why wouldn't you do it? Do it now, norton.com slash MK. We saw the latest example in sort of that mob mentality and there's the group that says nothing because they're afraid the mob will turn on them. And then there's the group that chooses to join the mob either because they're woke or what have you, or because they just want a virtue signal. You know, they, I think there's a huge section of the population that joins these mobs because they think it's insurance. You know, like I joined the mob Remember? How could I, how could I, I know. be somebody you want to cancel? You know, like I, I, I wanted Roseanne canceled, whatever it is, you know, pick, pick the latest controversy. But the, the one that was in the news um, recently was the New York Times pushed out its COVID reporter. I mean, this guy was their COVID reporter. His name is Don McNeil Jr. And he's been at the Times for 45 years, 45 years years. I listen to him often. I listen to the daily that's their podcast over there and it's left and it's fine, but I like different points of view of coming into my, you know, I, I like not just all right wing mm-hmm. stuff. And, um, he's definitely a COVID panicker kind of guy, you know, like in terms of his reporting, he's been jumping up and down. So of course the times should love him. Um, and he got forced out because it, it came out that in t- 2019, he was on some trip overseas with a bunch of like teenagers, like young teenagers. And um, it was like some educational thing. And he was asked at a dinner by a student whether he, McNeil, thought a classmate of hers should have been suspended for a video the kid made when she was 12, in which this kid used a racial slur, the N-word. And McNeil (laughs) has now admitted that he asked the student telling him this story if the 12 year old had called somebody else the slur or if she was rapping or quoting a book title. And he admits that he actually said the N word when having this exchange, like when trying to quote, he was like, did she say, and he didn't say N word. He said the word in this context or in that context. This is why he's now been fired. His 45 year career is over because in quoting someone who used the N word, he actually said it. Adam, the New York Times staff, uh, to its credit, the New York Times originally said, look, it doesn't appear his intentions were hateful or malicious. And Dean Baquet was like, I'm not going to fire the guy. You know, like, he's very sorry. Trust me. He'll never do it again. 150 staffers wrote a letter. F you. Intention is irrelevant. What matters is impact. All that matters is how the, quote, victims feel. And we got the 
the stuff we've gotten so often over the past year of like the speech itself was somehow violent and everyone there was in pain and um, we've been disrespected. Now they want a reinvestigation of the whole incident. They want an organizational study into how racial biases affect editorial decisions. The Times is on the knee. McNeil is out. And we've now gotten to the, the point officially where all that matters is not intention, but, quote, impact. And you can always find someone willing to say they've been negatively impacted by someone's alleged misstep. Remember when the mayor of Oakland found all those hoops hanging from the trees at the park in Oakland? And of course, yes. decided there were nooses, right? Yes. Then the black man who put all the hoops up said, I put them up for exercise. It's the way I exercise at the park or people exercise at the park. And the mayor of Oakland said, I'm still going to call in the FBI and we're going to investigate it. It's a hate <laughs> crime. Now, first off, you want to talk about a waste of taxpayers' money, number one. Number right. two, you're just admitting into a microphone you're a fucking imbecile. If that's what you said, <laughs> if you're saying that into a microphone, you're saying I'm incompetent and inept. And I have no idea why we would want this person to run a major city. But either way, uh, didn't we just get our answer? And isn't it all context and intent? And this is a big deal because a lot, it, it, it's a very interesting, bigger point, which is so many young white people love rap music and are influenced by rap music and then repeat the lyrics and then get into trouble for repeating the lyrics, which is essentially an homage to the music that they, that they're enjoying. And we, mm -hmm. we see no difference. There's no difference between calling someone the N word or repeating what someone else said. There's an absolute difference. It's night and day. It's insanity. And anyone who doesn't see, see that difference should be labeled an imbecile. And if you write for a newspaper and you're a reporter in any capacity and you don't know the difference and you don't know contact, then you should be fired because you're incapable of doing your job. How would you, in fact, report? On something, if in fact whatever part of your brain that perceives context had somehow been destroyed with a with a soldering iron. Well, you know what it does: the focus on impact instead of intent. It eliminates the ability to make mistakes. You're done. Right. Mistakes. No one gives a shit if it was a mistake. All they care about is that you did it, and no one can go through life like that, especially especially when. If the impact, right, if your negative impact is being judged by today's standards where there are landmines everywhere, right? Like this one, yes, you should know that you shouldn't utter that word. I, I get that. I understand he was trying to do it to quote somebody, but whatever. It was a dumb thing to do. On a parallel lane to that story at the Times, there was another story about this guy. Um, I think he's one of the producers of that podcast, The Daily, named Andy Mills. He was effectively forced out. He resigned, but he was effectively forced out because of they said he had a Me Too movement, a, a Me Too moment at a different employer back in 2018. And it got dragged back up. And I was like, well, 
what was he accused of doing? I don't know. Like, I'm not sure why he didn't get booted out of his last organization. And I was looking and looking and looking. Basically, what he was accused of doing was he got drunk in a bar. He um, like took a drink and dumped it on a woman's head and made flirtatious comments. All right. That is not worth you getting fired from your next job, right? From your next job that didn't even involve these these colleagues, right? But because he was um, big on one of their most popular podcasts, and apparently, um, I don't know, they just thought he was getting a pass. They thought he was getting a pass. And he was also, I think, involved in um, the Caliphate uh, podcast, which was completely undermined. And it was it turned out to be like false, and they had to take it down and all this stuff. And he didn't get fired. But the point is, the Times is now doing a couple of things, right? Like if, if you've had any misstep currently or in your past, even if you've atoned for it and paid for it, you're done. I don't know how we can live in this world. Here's the problem is, is far as I can tell. What the Times is doing is the Times creates. So here, here's. Here's the world we're living in. These, you know, social justice warriors who are out telling everyone why they're immoral and why everything's problematic and why everything they do or did is evil or racist or homophobic or whatever it is. Um, So the New York Times has deemed themselves the purveyor of morality. So of course you have to cleanse within your own ranks, because if you're going to announce that you are the new moral standard, you can't have anyone in your ranks that did anything at all. So it's going to be a, an internal cleansing and an external judging of, of the world. So how can you call Trump a misogynist? every 10 minutes if there may be some misogyny lurking within your own rank. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to purge (laughs) their own, Mm -hmm. which is now we're into some scary territory, right? Absolutely terrifying. I'm thinking about the quicksand that we're all walking on. If, if this is a standard where you can't, you know, the evolving standards of what's okay or what's offensive, you can't keep up with it. You know, the, uh, this year alone, they changed, they got rid of the name Redskins, as you know, the Cleveland Indians say they're getting rid of their name. And then just last Friday, there was an op-ed by somebody, some hysteric, <laughs> Jamie Goodall was her name. I think it was a woman. Yeah. Uh, in the Washington Post had an op-ed saying Buccaneers has to go. Buccaneers is a celebration of piracy. It, she, she said it may seem like innocent fun and pride in a local culture, but there is danger in romanticizing ruthless cutthroats who created a crisis in world trade when they captured and plundered, plundered, Adam, thousands of ships on the Atlantic trade routes. Okay, so the Buccaneers, they're on, they're on shaky ground, and anybody who would defend the Buccaneers could potentially be on shaky ground as having a negative, quote, impact on someone like Jamie Goodall some staff historian who's now decided to be the moral arbiter of us all. And it's like, I don't know. The other, the other piece of it is impact on whom, right? Because Don <laughs> well, McNeil. Those, those days are gone. Yes. Well, t- you tell me, because Don McNeil says that word, right? He says that word trying to quote somebody. 
and he's fired after 45 years of the Times. I just watched the Super Bowl where um, the weekend performed. Who says that word every other line in some of his songs? You know, to your point about the rap community, every other line. And I saw right. Cardi B in one of the commercials who says that word every other line in some of her songs, not to mention some other stuff. So, I, I mean, I get that those latter two people are black and Don McNeil is white. But it does beg the question, it, impact on whom? Well, look, the part where there is some plausible some line you could draw through some sort of positive impact versus, you know, them just controlling your life. Like the first time the whole Washington Redskins thing flared up and then died down about 10 years ago is because they went and did a survey of indigenous people or American Indians or whatever, whatever we're calling them. And they said they don't care. And that's why it went away the first time, because they were like, all right, the people who we're trying to save don't care because they have bigger fish to fry than the Washington Redskins logo on the side of the helmet. They have real problems. And so that that community is per capita probably worse off than any community in the United States. I think if you go to the community with the most problems and ask them about the most frivolous of their problems, then most of them are going to say, eh, we're dealing with uh, adolescent diabetes and poverty over here. We're not so interested in uh, the Washington Redskins logo. So, and, and this thing where, uh, who does it affect? It affects nobody. None of this affects, most of all of this doesn't affect most of the stuff we're talking about. I mean, circling back to the teachers, kids don't have COVID. And they don't affect teachers. None of this affects any, most of the stuff we're talking about doesn't affect anybody. We're essentially out of problems. And whoever this <laughs> idiot writer is writing about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, she is clearly out of problems. And anyone who agrees with her writing are out of problems as well. People with real problems aren't interested in this. And, and no, it affects nobody. They always do this thing where like, you know, it's dangerous or it says the wrong message. You know, I I was just reading a tweet that some idiot sent me an hour ago, and they were saying, like, you know, because San Francisco's changing all the names of the schools from Lincoln to Washington, and, you know, they, you got to get, everything must go. This mm -hmm. isn't, by the way, this, this, this is being sold under a false pretense. This, like, oh, we have to go back and clear these mistakes up uh, from the past because they're racist or they, you know, make people feel in danger. That's all bullshit. This is just a purge. They're just purging. They're just getting rid of everything that was so that they can reshape the now in the future. This is nothing to do with Lincoln and nothing to do with Washington. This is just to do with getting rid of everything that came before so that they can now sculpt the the narrative and sculpt the future but some idiot tweeted me like well you don't think it's a good idea to get rid of those names like what about the nine-year-old who's or the ninth grader who's in that group and the fear they feel walking into the school it's like what are you talking about does anyone even did 
no, no one I know when they were in junior high, it even knew what the stupid name was of their school, what the person did or what they're involved with or anything. Why right. do you feel fear? If you feel fear when you're walking into middle school, it's for reasons having nothing to do with the name of your school. We all felt it. And, and for good reason, not, not, not having to do with Abraham Lincoln. And, and also the good news is, uh, children in San Francisco, you don't have to feel fear walking into a Lincoln Junior High because it's been shut down for a year because your teachers right. won't go back to work. So good. You feel fear at home. You know how some parents pass that on, right? They're hysterical and they pass it on to their kids. It's like society's uh-huh. doing that right now to adults, whether it's COVID uh-huh. or, I mean, how, aren't you stunned by the fact that it was a hundred and 50 staffers who wrote the letter trying to kill this guy after 45 years at the Times? 45. They wanted his scalp and they got it. They're, they're teaching the next generation. Let me posit this. Think about it. So, you know, 150 people wrote the letter. How many of those 150 were just scared to be cast out? They don't want to be wished right. out into the cornfield. You know, this whole thing is you, you can learn everything you want to learn by watching that Twilight Zone episode where that kid is going to wish everyone out in the cornfield. It's ironic because it's a kid wishing all the adults out in the cornfield. So that 45-year-old staffer was the adult and the kids wished him out in the cornfield. But when you're sitting in your cubicle at the uh, Times and uh, somebody brings by the letter to get this old-timer shit can and wants you to sign it, what percentage of people really thought he needed to go versus didn't want to get wished out in a cornfield? Mm-hmm. This so is true. the dangerous. That that's why these are dangerous times because people are cowards. People, if 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 you got all, if I got all those hundred and fifty times staffers drunk and asked them if they really cared whether what this guy said when he said it or whether he should be dismissed at least 144 of them would have said they don't care. Some of them may have said McNeil's an asshole. He's been an asshole for a long time. And that's the other concern. Right. You can't use right. stuff like this to get rid of somebody who, who you just don't like, but you know it's happening. For sure it's happening. You know, and it's like with that, when we had due process, you would, you would make sure that, that the target was not pretextual. You know, you would make sure that there had been an actual, you know, serious ethical misstep and, and like probe. Is there actually just an ax to grind about this guy here? Because we don't, we don't generally fire people after 45 years just for being, you know, irascible. Um, now all it takes is a letter like this. And especially on an issue like race. I'm not, again, I'm not excusing him uttering the word. It's just uh, anything having to do with race. And I mean, you, that Times letter is like, please don't hurt us. Please don't hurt us. Everyone looks at all this stuff like it's somehow progress. It's, it's, we're, this is regress. This is not progress. This is not, this is, we're not evolving. You know, I've been saying for a long time, like all the people who are into like the progressive movement, it's like not, not all progress is good. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's good. Just because mm-hmm. it's different than it was 10 years ago doesn't mean it's progress. A lot. There's a big, I think one of the things we're getting caught up in as a nation of of like, look at us, we're moving forward. Like, look at us, we're moving forward. But are we moving in the right direction? And 
is this really progress? Is this a good thing? So will you be happy? Now you can rest easy when your kids enter the workforce. Is that, is that how you should think now? Oh, thank God. Oh, I'm going to sleep like a baby knowing my young son who likes to speak his mind is entering the workforce. Right. Because it's like we, we realize that all of you setting the rules are absolutely perfect and have never made a mistake and would never make a mistake. But what what about your kids? Are you, are you totally confident they're never going to misstep? And you know what? It's like nine times out of 10, the people pushing this nonsense, they don't have kids. They're like young people looking for a cause. Yeah. They feel like they're they're part of the next civil rights movement and they're not. Um but there's there is a purging going on, not just people getting fired or canceled, but like in the publishing world, you know, you saw Josh Hawley, his book got canceled after the Capitol riot. Um, now, Simon and Schuster, according to the latest report I read, is saying they're going to stop publishing Candace Owens. Oh, the really? Woman, yep. The woman who like the one conservative editor at Hachette um, has been fired. She was the one responsible for getting Don Jr.'s book published, and she just published Andy No's book. Um, she did like Corey Lewandowski, who yeah, I can't stand Corey Lewandowski, but I don't, I, I wouldn't stop him from publishing a book. Newt Gingrich, stuff like so. Anyway, she just got the official reasons were some lame reasons, but there's a big write up on how um, it's it's bullshit, right? Like everybody knows it's bullshit that that Hachette, as soon as they fired her, were re, was reassuring employees they'd learn the lessons of the Capitol riot. There'll be no more hate speech, no incitement, no false narratives in the books that they that they publish. And they're going to shift back now, Adam, to quote, think tank conservatives, think tank conservatives. <laughs> I mean, OK. Yeah, they're think tank conservatives. Like when you watch CNN, when they think they want to have this sort of even handed panel, whenever you hear Republican strategists, you always know, oh, that's not a real Republican. They're just going to get someone to get up there and talk about your shit. Uh, about Trump or whoever, but yeah, think tank conservative. I don't, uh, I don't get, I don't get why people put up with this. I, I, I don't get why more people don't talk about it. It's really insane. I mean, we're getting into publishing. I mean, we're literally getting into. We can't burn their books anymore because they don't exist because they won't publish them. Mm-hmm. We, we're, we're literally, we leapfrogged past book burning and that there's no product to burn. <laughs> That's so true. Well said. That's exactly right. No more tweets to bash because the, the, the tweets are not allowed anymore. No right. more, no more violent rhetoric on parlor because parlor's gone. And by the way, just in case our audience didn't hear the guy who came on the show, John Mates, the CEO of parlor was fired last week, fired. Um, and we're trying to figure out exactly what the story was, the reports of that. Coming up in one minute, uh, I'm going to ask Adam about the ladies of The View ganging up on Van Jones, who was in Adam's movie, No Safe Spaces, which everyone should go see. It's amazing. And we're going to have a little chat about AOC and whether she's a force for good. That's in one second. But first, insurance can be complicated, right? I mean, just the word insurance, you're like, oh, I don't want to do it. You can basically get this hassle off of your back by bringing in the zebra. They were created to help you. When you use thezebra.com, insurance finally feels like it's in black and white. Ah, no more confusion, no more gray area, just honest rates from real companies. 
The Zebra is the nation's leading insurance comparison site, you see, for your home and car insurance. They can help you save money today by making it super simple to compare what's out there. So easy. You go to thezebra.com, you answer just a few questions to compare accurate insurance quotes for free. The Zebra will protect your personal information and make sure there's no hidden fees or surprises for you along the way. You can secure your insurance from thezebra.com very simply, either do it over the phone from one of their licensed insurance agents, um, or just go to their website. Like I said, thezebra.com. How much money can you save on car or home insurance? Visit thezebra.com slash Kelly to find out. That's T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash Kelly for insurance in black and white. More with Adam in just one second. But first, I'm going to bring you a feature we call Real Talk, where we just sort of kick around something that's on my mind or want to talk about something in the news or that's not in the news. And today it's a story about my children. We woke up in the morning. I went out to the coffee maker and it was preset. It was like made, you know, the grounds were in there, by the way, it was black rifle coffee. And, um, all I had to do was hit brew. Right. So I just figured Doug had done it. And I'm like, Oh, thanks, babe. And he's like, Oh, I didn't do it. I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't do it. And Yardley our nine-year-old was like, I did it. My nine-year-old preset my coffee maker. I was like, ah, goals, <laughs> hashtag goals accomplished. Uh, and I, I sent out a tweet the other day saying, I, you know, I, I pretty much feel that all my parenting goals have been accomplished now. Like I'm good. Once your nine-year-old just on her own makes your morning coffee for you, I think you can just sit back and say like, nailed it. <laughs> so anyway, you know how it is, parents. You don't get days like that every day. You get Sometimes you get too many of the other kinds of days, but that was a good one. And I uh, just thought I'd share it. And now back to Adam. Speaking of intolerance, Van Jones was on The View. And Van Jones to me is a really interesting... If I were running CNN, I, I would... Well, I'd fire Chris Cuomo and I'd fire Don Lemon for sure. Like yesterday, they would definitely be fired. Um, but I give Van Jones a, st- a show in primetime immediately. So Van Jones used to be a communist, right? He's, he's the one that Glenn Beck, oh, he did? I think regrettably got fired from the Obama administration. He was going to be like his green energy czar. So I can't remember. It was so long ago now, but he was hard, hard left. And I don't think he's there anymore, but he's a, he's a black man who grew up in Tennessee. And I think he has made a lifelong effort to understand people who are not like he is and to reach out across the aisle to people who are not like he is. He actually just came out with this effort with Meghan McCain to sort of, it's like, I can't remember what they're calling. It's like bridge the divide. And they're trying to sort of get people to unite, which you know, I don't know how that's going to go, but I love Van Jones. I have interviewed Van Jones before. And also Van Jones was in my No Safe Spaces movie oh, that's with right. Dennis Prager as well. That's so right. I, I know Van Jones a bit. And yes, he's he's a sensible guy for the most part. Although he was on Mar two weeks ago and we're talking about recalling Gavin Newsom, he just shouted out that's a QAnon conspiracy thing. And it's like, no, it's not. He's a horrible governor. We're trying to recall him. Well, and it's got over 1.3 million signatures. So it's looking, and they only need 1.5. I know. I don't know why Van Jones yelled out QAnon conspiracy. I think the new deal with people on the left is anything you disagree with, you just yell QAnon conspiracy. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do that. That's actually pretty good. I like that. Thank you for the tip. Everybody's got political disagreements. As Van Jones 
once said to me uh, privately, because we're friends, something like, um, let's disagree 23 hours of the day. And I like that, right? Like, let's have a beer the other hour. Let's, Let's be cool. Let's see each other's humanity. Anyway, my point is, he goes on The View. Now, as I say, he's doing this thing, this effort, bipartisanship, whatever, with Meghan McCain, who's a co-host of The View. So he goes over there to talk about it. Right. Anna Navarro, that, this is another one of those fake Republicans like yeah. Nicole Wallace, so hateful now. And they killed Van Jones. We have a clip. Take a listen. All of a sudden, you, you show up working with a nepotism Barbie and nepotism Ken, and you work and showing up, you know, in pictures with Eric Trump and with Candace Owens. And so I think there's people who wonder, and I'm one of them, how did that evolution happen? There's no evolution. I, I, when Obama was in office, I was working with Newt Gingrich. I was working with Republicans then to get people out of prison. There are those who really accuse you of being a political opportunist, a chameleon, so to speak, who provided a racial cover for a former disgraced, twice impeached President Trump. People in the black community don't trust you anymore. Mm-hmm. What, what is your response? Uh, uh, well, I, 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 don't, I don't think that, that that's true. Man, take a nap. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> The point that ladies of The View were trying to make is, how dare you reach across the aisle and work with anybody in that Trump White House, even if it means getting people of color out of jail early? Screw you, Van Jones, because you worked with, quote, nepotism Barbie and Ken. Right. Which basically shows they're they're not interested in whatever it is they say they're interested in. You know what I mean? I, you know, they're whatever their whatever their deal is. It's, it's kind of like Black Lives Matter. Like they're not really interested in what they say they're interested in, and neither is the view. You know, they're always talking about unity and uniting the country and reaching across the aisle and all, civility and all. They're, they're they're interested in they're interested in their terms. 100%. Their their idea of unity is 100% their way or the highway. Yep. They're also thin-skinned. You know what I mean? Like, hey, your highness, is anyone allowed to disagree with the way you think? I mean, you have yep. to think about all these people. First off, they're intellectually idiots, most of them. And the, the rules are all of society must just join in and lockstep behind them and think exactly how they think. Otherwise, they need to be cast. You know, they need to be banished and cast mm-hmm. out in the cornfield. It, it's 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 complete and utter narcissism, you know. Or you know, you you must be uh, Fox must be canceled because they disagree with us. I mean, just think about that. Think about the crazed narcissism of saying. You disagree with me, so you're bad and you must not exist. Yep. And it's working. That's what's really scary is it's they're not going to get rid of Fox. That's not happening. But, you know, these little these it's death by a thousand cuts, right? Like the woman at Hachette goes and um, something like 600 publishing staffers wrote a letter last month saying there'll be no books by anybody from the Trump administration who, or who supported the violence at the Capitol, which really means didn't totally accept the election result as non-fraudulent. It happens just right. here, there, everywhere. Now, Van Jones tries to reach across the aisle, get criminal justice reform done, something the left would normally be cheering for. No, he gets shamed for it on The View. He gets shamed for taking a picture with Candace Owens. 
with whom he probably agrees on absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. But just being in a picture with her is enough for them to to give him a hard time. And it doesn't matter that Van himself is black, uh, liberal, hard left liberal, you know, for most of his history. No, doesn't matter. You got to toe the line. You got to toe it every second of every day or you're out. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why, Adam, people look at like even the impeachment happening this week and they're like, we're over you and your hysterical overreactions to everything. They talk. I'm not defending the Capitol Hill riot at all, but they talk about it like it it was like another 1776 all out revolutionary war. And it's not to say it wasn't bad. It was bad. But, you know, the difference in rhetoric when they talk about the riots we've seen over this year versus what we saw that day is obvious to anybody. Oh, my God. Did you hear AOC's tearful? And by oh, the yeah. way, the news just picks it up and runs with it. Harrowing experience, you know, this this thing where, she, I mean, the white cop, she did, couldn't trust him. I mean, it's insane. Uh, we're it's we're, we're in a, a completely different, it's racist. Of course it's racist. Well, by the way, everything those people do, essentially, while they're calling everyone else a racist, is in fact racist. Yep. <laughs> Of, of course, that's who they are. This is, it is a new era we're in, and it's pretty damn insane that we have people like AOC who are so fear-based and so panic-based. I mean, these are our leaders. She's a leader. Just telling her, she was telling everyone she was locked herself in the bathroom and was scared to come out and fearful of her life. Like, that's that's a leader she wasn't even in the main building no she wasn't even in the main building (laughs) meanwhile can i just point out we had steve scalise on the show who actually took a bullet on a baseball field a couple of years ago by some lunatic bernie sanders supporter and he was cool as a cucumber you know it wasn't good we got to deal with it but you know we got to lower the temperature but if anybody had the right to go out there and play the victim right it was him I just, for me, AOC constantly runs to playing the victim. I I make no comments on her revelation that she was the sexual uh, violence victim. I I have only empathy for her on that. But the thing is, she she's always running to victimhood and it's just a massive turnoff. So I'm exempting that particular thing. But no matter what happens to AOC, she overplays it. Like Ted Cruz did not try to have her murdered. And the more she engages in that nonsense, the more it ramps up the rhetoric rather than tones it down, which is what smart people like Scalise are calling for, and and makes you look at her as you're weak and you're exploiting how divided the country is right now. Yes. A, you make yourself look like whatever the opposite is of a leader, you are displaying all the qualities of a non-leader and people are agitated enough and all you're doing and and by the way it's all narcissism you're you're drawing attention and focus on yourself this is as far as aoc's experience of this whole thing um this should be a non-starter it really it really should be i mean she wasn't even in the same facility so for you you're allowed aoc's allowed to have opinions on it but to feel like she was in, in fear of her life and to do the whole fearful thing. And essentially just, it just essentially, she's just a, she's a 
out-of-control narcissist. That, that's all this. I mean, it's pure and simple. No one historically would talk about themselves in such a way. And for some reason, the victimhood thing has become the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to narcissism, whereas in the past, it was about, well, here's how many medals I've won and here's the dragons I've slayed. You know, now it's here. Who was the most scared? Whoever was the most scared (laughs) is going to get the most kudos. I don't know. Is that what you want in a leader? Like what if there was a war? The the, the general who was the most frightened, he would be the most highly decorated. Because that's where we're at. All right. Let me shift gears with you and throw you a, something out of left field, because I just kind of wanted to ask for your take on Marilyn Manson. Now, I I haven't closely Mm -hmm. followed the career of Marilyn Manson other than the guy looks absolutely freaking bizarre and um, was always like with these beautiful women. And I was always like, how is that possible? He's so disgusting. How is he getting all these beautiful, beautiful women to be by? But, you know, he's a rock star. So it happens. And now it turns out he's been accused by more than nine women or nine, at least nine women of like very dark harassment, uh, sexual violence, torture. He denies it all. But I, you know, you can't help but look at the guy and be like, "Mm, I mean, it makes some sense. I don't know. What do you have any thoughts on it? Uh, I know him a little bit. Um, You know, he's a kind of troubled guy. Uh, There's probably some substance, you know, sprinkled in there. Um, He you know, he probably has these relationships and then gets into this role-playing stuff. And then, you know, if you do the role-playing right, I guess the lines get a little blurry, you know? And then you start, you know, once you start getting into the substance and you start getting into the role-playing, then who the hell knows what version of everything is, is, is reality versus you know his version of it is is everything's consensual it's role playing their version of it is uh it, it was beyond role playing i don't know how you prove that you know i mean once you've once you both once both parties have consented to the role play now it gets kind of blurry as to like where that line was crossed you know what i'm saying when you got nine women coming out accusing you, you're doing the role playing wrong. You've, you, your acting career is over. Stick to singing. You're going to have to find some other way of approaching your sex life because clearly what you're doing ain't working. Or you're so good at it that you're that deep into it. Oh, he was, he was method. <laughs> That's not going to fly. Yeah, he's gone full method. Yeah, I agree. I'm not defending him. I'm just, that's my speculation. No, I was just curious. I thought, it, by the way, when you say you know him a bit, have you seen him without the makeup? Like when you see Marilyn Manson in, in real life, does he wear the makeup? No, when you see him in real life, he looks like uh, Ted McGinley Jr. from uh, The Love Boat. And uh, what do you? That guy was good looking. Ted McGinley Jr. was a handsome. <laughs> okay, I got I'm, confused for a second. <laughs> I'm making a joke. I picked the whitest, blondest, <laughs> best looking guy from the 90s that I could think of. Meanwhile, not like most of the audience here, I think, is pretty young and probably none of them got what the hell you just referenced, although I'm old. 
Google Ted McGinley Jr. And and also we should start an internet rumor that he's your biological brother. Because <laughs> if Megan Kelly has a brother out there, a, a, a male counterpart, a, a doppelganger, I think Ted would be the, the best we could do in that department. <laughs> and that's a compliment to you and Ted. I'm flattered. I mean, I look, thank you for that. I do have a brother. He's not a, I would say his personality is close to a doppelganger. Um, and by the way, not for nothing, but I actually just went down and saw him in Georgia because his son got married. And that's another, you know, unlike California, people went to the wedding. People were out on the streets. People were living their lives. It's a Southern state, right? It's a red state where like people just, I think they see risk differently. We went to the wedding and guess what? It wasn't a super spreader event. As far as we know, my brother's been checking in. Nobody got COVID. We didn't get COVID. We brought our kids. People were responsible. It all worked out in the end. Um, all right, which leads me leads me to my last question. So California is not a red state. And uh, we've had a lot of, we asked our, our listeners to write in if they had any questions for you. And the one question we kept getting over and over is, is Adam going to leave California? So what's the answer? Well... You know, I'm in Malibu right now, and it's so damn beautiful. I'm just staring at the ocean. Um, but yes, uh, are you, well, look, here's, here's the deal. We'll either have to have a, a Giuliani-type referendum to California and just completely shake the place up, or people who have jobs and pay taxes and want to raise their kids are going to have to leave. I mean, it'll, it'll be one or the other. So my kids are in the ninth grade. They got a few more years. Well, they're not in the ninth grade. They're sort of next to the ninth grade because right, uh, right. they're, they're not allowed to go to school in California, but, um, they're, they will graduate high school and then we will leave unless something happens. I mean, maybe there'll be some kind of turnaround. Maybe there'll be some sort of renaissance or awakening. Maybe we'll get somebody, you know, maybe we'll get rid of Newsom and get somebody, Falconer, I think, in from uh, San Diego, like someone who wants to run this state like it's a business and make it better, make a better climate and, you know, focus on homelessness and traffic and all the stuff that plagues it. And then maybe I'll stay. But it's not looking like it. Is Falconer attractive? Um, he's not Ted McGinley attractive, if that's what you're talking about. <laughs> well, you know, my husband, Doug, has this whole theory about how, like, we really need unattractive politicians and Supreme Court justices because otherwise they're really they start getting drunk on their own wine. They need the appro approval of like sort of the Georgetown cocktail parties or in your case, the San Francisco right. cocktail parties. And that's a bad thing. We need people who are like, I'm a little grisly. I'm fine with it. I'll get ahead based on my character and personality. Yeah. I got to see if Falconer, what Falconer looks like. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's going to win any bathing suit competition. So. Perfect. Well, I like to think, um, you know, this is one of my own uh, secrets to success in my life is that I wound up, you know, okay, fine. It's a, not fishing for compliments. I, I wound up relatively attractive, but I was not an attractive child. And that was important to my success in life. You got to get ahead on your personality. You got to learn how to be funny. You have to try. <laughs> you actually are, are not the one who was told she had to just sit there and look pretty. It wasn't going to work. Uh, so I think 
ugly politicians and ugliness in general as a child is not such a bad thing. See, conversely, I was super hot until I was 30 and now I'm a pig. So I got all the wrong messaging growing up. <laughs> but you developed your brain and, and that, that's I attractive. Did. Yes. Thank you for acknowledging that, Megan. <laughs> Adam, it's always a pleasure. If you decide to leave, um, don't come to New York City because it's no better. But maybe we'll find a place in between and I'll see you there. I look forward to talking to you soon, Megan. Today's episode was brought to you in part by Bambi, human resources crafted for businesses of all sizes. Go to bambee.com slash MK now to learn more. And don't forget, subscribe and download the show uh, right now. Download anything you've missed, but subscribe for sure. Uh, because on Monday, we're going to have Ayan Hirsi Ali. This is my pal. She's brilliant. She's written a bunch of best-selling books, and she was on the show once before, but the reason we're having her is she's just come out with a new book called Prey, P-R-E-Y, and she has taken a very hard look at the crazy surge in violence against women and strange customary changes for women in Europe as a result of all this mass migration we saw um, starting in particular in 2015, there was a huge spike. Remember, Germany and these other countries were taking all these. They were supposed to be to help refugees from the Syrian war. But what happened was a lot of countries, and and she's open about this. You know, Ayan is an atheist now, but she was raised Muslim. But where Muslim men um, have immigrated into some of these European countries and haven't assimilated, they have been bringing in some cases, in far too many cases, attitudes about women that have proven very dangerous very problematic and how the courts and society and the media is helping they're they're all helping instead of stopping the madness uh everyone's too afraid to say you're gonna have to assimilate we're not going to assimilate to your views of women being second-class citizens you're gonna have to assimilate to our way of life where women can be prime minister right they anyway don't miss this interview because it's very telling. Ion, of course, has always has done her homework, and I think you're going to be fascinated and slightly concerned uh, at the end of it. In the meantime, though, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.